All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. We've been here for the last a little over two months or so, so uh, you should be familiar. And uh, today is the last of our series on the Beatitudes. Um, so we'll be reading that together as we've done. Um, so Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And as we've done uh, the last little bit, we will, I will read the first portion, blessed are, and then you will read uh, in response the second portion, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you would, once again, rise, uh, and let's read God's word together. I'll read verse 1 and 2, and then you, we will start with 3. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This beatitude, the final of the eight, is easily the most difficult one to process and to chew on. Uh, as I read it, I want to say, like, thanks, Jesus, for ending on a solid, good, happy note, which, of course, he doesn't. Uh, and the question that he begs, and I actually, if I'm being honest, I kind of walked into this Sunday um, with a bit of nervousness and, and a little bit of angst because you read it. It's not the easiest thing because, I mean, who really wants to live into the reality of a persecuted life, right? Nobody wants that. Nobody actively chooses that. Maybe we want to live into a life and a world of mercy, righteousness, purity of heart, peace, sure. But persecution, no thanks, right? And it makes you wonder on, some, on a joking level, like how did Jesus ever get anyone to follow him? Because if you know, he says this before he tells people to follow him. So people followed him after he told them that they're going to you know, be persecuted for following him. So I thought, like, is Jesus trolling? Like, is this just kind of one of his tactics, like reverse psychology type of things where he tells them the worst so that maybe they just kind of forget about it and then they do? I don't think so. And if you know, and if you've been here for the last bit, and if not, I'll remind you, blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you know, if you've been here, you know you can read this. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for they and they alone will have the kingdom of heaven. Which means that if you are not being or have not been persecuted, then maybe you do not have the kingdom, as Jesus said. Or put differently... Have the kingdom life in you, follow Jesus, and have the beatitude life follow out of you, then indeed you are guaranteed some shape and form of persecution. As I said last week, the first six beatitudes, right, are the qualifications of peacemaking, and this last one, the eighth, is the consequence, what happens if you indeed try to make peace in the world. So I want to ask Jesus, like, bro, if I can call Jesus bro, what's up? I gotta be missing something. There's gotta be something I'm not seeing because this one is just hard to handle. Let's just be honest. So the question we have today is like, how do we respond to this, right? If I'm being honest, spending two months in the Beatitudes, this is not where I wanna end, but I've always known that this is where we're gonna end. And so how do we respond to this? How do we handle this? 
But first, before we kind of answer that, four things that we have to, I think, notice uh, right off the bat. It's going to be helpful. This one is the only repeated beatitude. I don't know if you noticed that. Jesus states it and then clarifies it in verse 11 and 12, right? And you are like, why? Maybe it's because Jesus knows we're going to like this one the least, so he saved it to the end. But more so, maybe it's because Jesus, for him, this is the one he felt most deeply in his own soul. I think he recognized or he, um, he, he made, this made sense to him the most. He, he knew this the most deeply. Second thing you got to notice is the shift from they to you, right? All of a sudden it's been blessed are this, this, this for theirs and theirs alone and they and they alone, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, blessed are you. Or as I like to say, blessed are y'all, literally in Greek, y'all, right? It's like Jesus is saying, you know, like all y'all. And for him, on the mountaintop, as he's preaching to people, all y'all in front of me listening to this, blessed are y'all, for indeed, this is indeed the case. Third thing you got to notice is Jesus is now, for the first time, a part of the picture. He says, because of me or on account of me, Jesus explicitly exclaims and claims his role, right? That the persecution that you and I will face if we have that life in him is because of him, not for any other reason, but because of him. It's like Jesus saying, like, I'm the problem, and you're going to find issues because of me. It's almost kind of like that classic breakup story. It's like, oh, what's wrong? No, 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 it's, it's me. It's, my, it's, it's me. It's, it's all me, right? That kind of an idea. And the last thing you've got to notice is the reason for the persecution, right? Notice the reason, because of him, for the sake of righteousness. We will not be persecuted when we follow Jesus because we're brash or over the top about the gospel. You're not going to be persecuted because you like just, you know, shove it down people's throats and say, you've got to believe this or else. We're not persecuted because we're tactless or insensitive to others about the gospel. It's not because we're on like a thrill seeker and just want to find persecution and people who will do these. And, and, and people are like that. Like I told you, I'm confrontational by nature, so I like confrontation, so I kind of go seek it. It's not because of that. We're not persecuted because we're narrow-minded or pushy or all these different things. But we will be persecuted for the sake of righteousness. When we seek right relatedness, shalom, peace, and all these things, we will find persecution because of Jesus. Basically, it's Jesus saying, you can't separate righteousness, right relatedness, being one, shalom, and all these things, and Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes to this world, as we sing, and we sing all the time, to make everything right and new and good and holy in the way it was designed. And when you do, Jesus is saying, when I enter your life, and you live this way, and you seek this, then you will find persecution. Sorry, but not sorry. And then rejoice and be glad. No laughing in here. It's good. Jump for joy is my favorite translation of that verse. Jump for joy when you're persecuted on account of me. Now it makes us ask, like, for real? Jesus. Like, seriously? Or, as my daughter would say, but why? Like, Jesus, can't you make this different? Like, you're Jesus, can't you make this different? And you're familiar with this question if you've been here uh, for the last little bit. Like, why bless this, God? Of all the things you could bless, why say this is a thing that you should congratulate us on? And we have to remind ourselves, as we've done throughout this entire series, that these qualities, these beatitude qualities are not natural. You don't wake up one day and want to be a peacemaker and decide to become one or poor in spirit or merciful or hunger for thirst for righteousness, all those things. And indeed, you do not wake up and indeed want to be persecuted and seek persecution on your own. But this all happens when the gospel takes a hold of us. The gospel breaks in, I've been saying it, and the beatitudes break out. Blessed are you 
when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness on account of me, he says. And unfortunately for us, maybe you're thinking like, ah, Pastor Pete's just overstating things. He's just kind of being dramatic as he always likes to do. And it's not the case. The facts bear this out in some ways. Let me just give you a couple, right? Over the last 10 years, according to a couple of different uh, uh, publications and people who research this stuff, about 900,000 Christians have been martyred for their faith. And if you don't know what martyred means, it means you're killed, murdered for your faith. People basically say, do you believe in Jesus? And you say yes, and then they kill you. That's basically the most basic definition of martyrdom, right? And if you do the math, that's 90,000 people martyred per year, right? And their definition of martyr is someone who's killed in a situation of witnessing about Jesus and as a result of the hostility that follows, right? Uh, an organization called Open Door USA uh, estimates that 215 million Christians face high levels of persecution in the world, which is basically a way of saying they're denied basic human rights, food, water, safety, because of their belief in Jesus, because they say there is no other name but the name of Jesus. And there's more, but I won't bore you with those, but it makes us question, right? And this is a serious one. Is a person truly gospelized, truly kingdomized, truly Jesus-ized, if you want to call it that way, if he or she isn't persecuted in some way? If they're not, does it mean that they may not be gospelized? Because Jesus seems to explicitly state that it isn't. Blessed are you who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for yours and yours alone is the kingdom, which means if you're not in the blessed or the persecuted you know, sector, then yours is not the kingdom. And before you say, oh, Pastor Pete, again, you're being too dramatic and too over the top, so extra, think of Luke 6, 26. It says, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers do to the false prophets. Hmm. Yikes. So, again, we ask, why like this, Jesus? Why this way? And the answer is simple. And it comes from John 15, 18 through 20, I believe. And it goes like this. If the world, and the way Jesus identifies the world is the world organized against God or saying, I don't need God to live, right? That's what he means by world. Human society organizing itself against God. If the world hates you, us, Keep in mind that it hated me first. This is Jesus saying. Jesus saying, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And remember the words that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus is saying, they will also persecute you. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, you'll become like me. You'll do the things that I do. You'll say the things that I say. You'll love the things that I love. You'll hate the things that I hate. If you follow me and do as I do, then they will hate you because they hated me first. And you know the story. Jesus was persecuted and hated on. You know the story. He was crucified on the cross even though he was innocent of all these things. So if the same life that Jesus lived out on the earth is being lived out in us, how is it that we will not be persecuted? You cannot have one and not the other. If they persecuted the gospelizer, what, they might, what might they do to the gospelized? So then the key question of the day then arises out of all of this. Why in the world was Jesus persecuted so badly? Right? And the question is a fair one. You guys ask it. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I can't imagine a better or gooder person than Jesus in all of the world. So then you want to know why would anyone want to hurt Jesus? Why hurt someone who brings good news, shalom? Why get rid of a man who heals people? 
who eats with the poor and the sick, who accepts the obnoxious and the tax collectors and the sinners or whoever who adopts these people into his own family. And again, as I said earlier, it's not because Jesus was like this obnoxious, pushy, tactless, ridiculous, like annoying, whatever. It's not because of that. I mean, there's the one time where Jesus says to the religious elite and say, woe on you. But that was in response because they had long decided they were going to kill him anyway. It had been long decided. So why? Why persecute someone who did not deserve it? Why do the worst thing to the best person? Why unfairly, unjustly try and kill somebody when they didn't deserve it? And to me, studying Jesus' life, there's three reasons. One, Jesus was persecuted for being righteous. Two, for doing righteousness. And three, speaking righteously. And we'll take a look at that. And as we go into it, then you got to understand, if Jesus was being righteous, doing righteousness, and speaking righteously, then we ought to then, if his life is alive in us, do the same. Okay? And I promise, there's some good news at the end. So, hold tight. First, being righteous. My professor says, perfect righteousness is always experienced by the unrighteous as either blessing or threat. Perfect righteousness is always experienced by the unrighteous as either blessing or threat. And all, it all depends on our feelings towards our own righteousness or unrighteousness. Or maybe I'll put it this way. Righteousness, while it's awesome, always highlights unrighteousness. Or let me put it this way. Perfection highlights imperfection. Hmm? Isn't that true? Like, you might welcome righteousness and perfection at first with praise, but after some time, it will always for us turn to threat. Why? Because perfect righteousness always calls for change. Sorry to use a basketball example, and then I'll use a non-basketball example after this. It's like LeBron James. I don't know if you know. Maybe, maybe the greatest player of all time, I don't think so, but the greatest player right now in the world, LeBron James. But if you look at his track record, his teammates have never really liked playing with him. Kyrie left because he didn't want to be underneath LeBron's shadow and all the other things. Kevin Love had an interview and he said, it's playing with LeBron, it's great. You got to make these crazy sacrifices and I just didn't like it, but at the end, you get a chip. You get to go and play in the finals and that's a worthy sacrifice. And it's because LeBron's standards are so great. He's so good. He's so athletic. He's 6'8", 275 pounds. You don't find human beings like that. And so you, in his presence, at his expertise, cower and you realize, I'm just not nearly as good as that guy and you don't like it. At first, you're like, bro, I get to play with LeBron James. I'm going to win me a championship. And then you realize, dude, I can't play like him, and I can't do like him, and I can't be what he wants. So then he becomes a threat, and you got to go, do my own thing. Or it's like Beyonce. Maybe you guys don't know this if you're young, but Beyonce was not Beyonce before she was Destiny's Child. Did you know that? She was in a group. Destiny's Child, Houston Zone. Did you know they're all literally from the third ward right here, all three of them? Kelly Rowland and, oh, my goodness, what's her name? Shoot. There's a third one. (laughs) I was, I was confident I could remember the names, but I can't. Um, but there, there's three of them, Destiny's Child. And then Beyonce became Beyonce. And while they understood that Beyonce is Beyonce, at some point you, 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 you quiver underneath her greatness because the other two realized they just weren't Beyonce. Or it's like any other big group, 
That's why groups and singers don't ever stay together because there's always that one who's better than everybody else and nobody wants to be that one shadow and that one knows that they got to go and make it on their own. Like all of them. Zane, was that One Direction, right? Camille, what was her name? There you go. Whatever that, that fifth harmony or whatever. That, you know, like it's, it's literally all over the place. But the idea is this, right? Perfection and righteousness, while it's great in the beginning and you love it, at the end, you always, it always highlights just how imperfect or unrighteous you are. And let's just be honest. None of us like to admit that we're imperfect. None of us like to admit that we're not good enough. None of us like to admit that we're just not quite up to snuff as whoever it is that we're measuring to. It's why the very first beatitude must and will always be blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because when the perfect gospel and the perfect king and the perfect kingdom enters into our messy, unimperfectness, then we have to be good with the fact that we're imperfect. If not, it'll never work because we'll chase God away 100%. These beatitudes can only be lived out when we have owned our imperfections and realize that it's okay. See, without even speaking, Jesus, the righteous one, the perfect one, he exposes your sin, my sin, my wickedness, my filth. He makes me recognize that something is wrong with me, and then he gives me two choices, basically. Two choices pop up when Jesus enters into our life. You can either... Open up to him and say, God, this is who I am. This is exactly how it is. Take me just as I am. I ain't going to get much better than this. Or you say, F you, bro. I can't handle you. Get out of my way. He exposes the darkness, and that makes us uncomfortable. But when Jesus imparts his righteousness to us, which is what the cross is all about, then we begin to change. Maybe not to complete perfection right away, but slowly but surely, we allow God's way of life, shalom, peace, goodness, righteousness to enter in, and we become okay. And we begin to then live the right-side-up life in an upside-down world. Second reason why Jesus is persecuted then was for doing righteousness. See, no matter where Jesus went, right, whether it was Jews or Gentiles at the time, right? Jesus lived righteously, and his righteous living challenged everything about the way everybody lived. Jesus always subverted the status quo. Did you know that? He always rocked the boat, right? For instance, for those living in hatred, division, anger, and violence, right? His way of love, peace, and joy rocked the boat. People didn't like it. For those who lived well, the church, Jesus rocked the boat even more. Why? Because he was always bringing the wrong people to the party. Jesus would literally, in the Houston example, he would go to the strip club, get the strippers, and then bring them to church. And the people would be like, what in the world are you doing? They don't belong here. If anything, Jesus always and more than anyone else upset the religious establishment. That's us, right? More than anyone else. Why? Because he upset the good people. Why? Because their goodness, their religious establishment did not and could not handle the broken. And remember, we, the establishment, the religious Jewish establishment were the ones that crucified Jesus. And it's because they understood righteousness one way and Jesus understood it another way. 
right? And you know this. If you grew up in the church, you know this. They taught that righteousness was shaped up before you enter into these doors. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Jesus said, just come and be shaped by the Father who loves you. I've always said this. Because remember, I tell you, I tell the story all the time. I think I've told it a bunch of times. But there was a, a, a girl that we had met and uh, that we know. And she had been out of church for a long time. And she had come a couple times. And then she, like, disappeared for a little bit. And so I reached out to her and I was like, hey, I haven't seen you in all. What's going on? And she, uh, we had a conversation. And she said, I don't belong in that place. I don't belong in there. And I know it. And I can see it. Because I don't have the prerequisites. I don't have the things that I need to belong in there. And this is what I told her. And I hope you take this to heart. The church is the gathering of the unholy, filthy, broken, imperfect, in the presence of the holy, beautiful, and perfect God, who thereby receive his holiness, beauty, and perfection. You can't ever forget that. This place is not a gathering of the good. It's a gathering of the wicked and the filthy and the imperfect in the presence of the, un, uh, the perfect and holy God. And because of that, we become somehow holy and righteous. You can't forget that. See, this is an issue that we cannot handle for most of us, if we're just being honest. One of my favorite quotes by a theologian, unfortunately, I don't know who said it because my professor said it in a class and I just remembered it and I can't remember who said it. And when I look it up, I can't find it. But he says this, grace is fundamentally odious. Now, odious, if you, uh, for those younger ones, if you're in the SAT zone, or learning, it's a good SAT word. But odious means this. Odious means repulsive, vile, nauseating, abominable, detestable, and appalling. Grace, amazing grace, is fundamentally repulsive. Amazing grace is fundamentally vile. Amazing grace is fundamentally nauseating. Amazing grace is fundamentally abominable, detestable, and amazing grace is appalling. Why? Because grace says to you and to me, you ain't going to make it on your own. Tough. Get over it. You're not good enough, grace says. Because if you were, why would you need it? Jesus is saying, you need help. You need me. You need grace. See, grace and righteousness then it subverts, it flips upside down our pride, humanity's prize, and our desire to sing God or anyone or everyone look at me. I did it my way. I got here because I got here. I got here because I worked hard. I got here because I'm good. And grace will tell you, you got nowhere because you're not nothing. And you only get somewhere when I take you. And we don't like that. It's revile. It's nauseating. It's abominable. It's detestable to all of us because we want to scream and stand on our own perch and say, I got here because I am good good God, you know what? And grace says, nope, sorry. See, Jesus rocked the boat. Then by breaking these rules that people had set to shape up before we got here, right? Rules that were set to help people be righteous. And mainly, Jesus broke the Sabbath rules. Not the Sabbath, but the Sabbath rules. The, re the rules that regulated Sabbath. The rules that were supposed to help them, right? Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. Apparently, that wasn't good because you can't heal. And I'm like, what? It'd be like me not praying for one of y'all because apparently that's doing work or something. Like, that just sounds ridiculous. Jesus was crucified. Make no mistake. 
for breaking man-made Sabbath rules. Jesus rocks the boat by doing all sorts of other things, like by doing kingdom stuff, right? And when he does righteous things, right, his kingdom and our kingdom, they clash and we don't like it. Do you know the story in Mark 9? Everyone kind of knows the story. Jesus gets off a boat and he gets, gets onto the shore, right, and he runs into a man, right, but the man is demon-possessed and he's kind of in this area and nobody's around him. And then he's like, yo, what's going on and who's in there? And they're like, and then the demons speak out. Do you know the story, right? And they're like, we are legion. I wish, that, I wish that there was like a movie scene. Because the voice would be like, rad, we are read, whatever. My voice is not deep enough. And then, right, Jesus, clearly not cool with the fact that a man has been possessed by a legion of demons, goes, okay, and then expels them into 2,000 pigs, and the pigs run off, right, and then they go drown into the water. And the people rejoice, yes, Jesus, you're doing good things. No. Jesus saved a man possessed by a bunch of demons whose life was terrible and ridiculous. And when he threw them out into the pigs and then sent them into the water, they asked Jesus very forcefully, "Um, we don't like you. Can you leave, please? And you're like, what? It'd be like somebody being in here, right? Let's just say they're demon-possessed, right? And then somehow Pastor Goose and I or whatever, we do our pastorly thing, and then we're like, yo, get out. And then the demons get out, right? And then all of you on would be like, oh, my goodness, that was the coolest thing I ever saw. You're like, um, Pastor Goose, Pastor Pete, time to go. Don't ever come back. And you're thinking like, wait, wait, why would that happen? Why would they ever in any way do that? Why were they angry? Why were they terrified? Why would they ask Jesus to leave? And the reason was, if you hear the backstory, you understand it, was because they had been pushing their village's demons upon that man for who knows how long. So whenever a demon was in the village, they would push it upon this one man. So let's just say Pastor Goose is the man, right? And we got demons up in here. And rather than doing anything about it, we would just push the demons onto him so that he can be oppressed and live this terrible life forever and ever and ever. And Jesus came and undid the demons and said, the demons do not belong on anyone. They got to be out of here. But they hated it because they knew that when the demons came, they could not force it onto this one man anymore. Their terrible, abject sin was now highlighted. And they're like, Jesus, you got to go. It'd be like Jesus coming in here and shining a light onto all of our lives and all the dirty filth that we do every single day, all the weeks of our lives. We would not rejoice. No, we'd be like, hmm. If I had some magical ability to be like, you, 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 and just name the sin and just start writing down on a piece of paper, like all these things, Toby, Brendan, like all these things, you would not want me to come back. You'd be like, don't ever come back. Or you would never come back, one or the other. You feel? See, the kingdom messes with our idols, messes with our sin. And so we can either cower, acquiesce underneath our idols, or we can let the gospel out. See, we can keep the kingdom in here and it sounds good. We can sing these words in here and it sounds good. We can do all these things in here and it sounds good. But once it exits those doors and you got to live rightly. So you can say Sabbath is important, but then when you go outside and you say, no, we're not going to work on the Sabbath. We're not going to do homework. We're not going to do anything on the Sabbath because that's God's day alone. Then you say, no. How will people react? So on and so forth. And the third reason that Jesus was then persecuted was by speaking righteously, mainly about himself. If you know Jesus, Jesus had a very particular way of speaking about himself, right? He spoke very, just be, just be honest, 
dude was like the most pompous dude walking around, if you're just being honest. Like he walked on the shore and he saw a bunch of fishermen. He said, follow me. He didn't ask. He didn't say, hey, I got a good idea. You want to come with me? No, 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 that's not how Jesus said it. He said, follow me. It'd be like me being a brand new person, showing up to like a neighborhood or whatever, and be like, oh, y'all, come to my party right now. Boom. No questions asked. Just come. Be here. People be like, who the crap are you? Who do you think you is, right? And if you remember, Jesus' way of following, or the way of following back then wasn't like going to a party. It was like literally dropping everything and then doing what Jesus wanted you to do. Mm. You know that Jesus also said things like, I am, right? He said things like, I am the bread of life. If you don't eat of me, you will die. Hmm? Excuse me? I am the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection. Which means that if you aren't in him, you don't have the life, the truth, or the resurrection. Hmm, excuse me? Jesus said, abide in me. Why? Because if you don't abide in me, you can do nothing. Excuse me? And the best part was Jesus wasn't like some like really like hyped up dude. I bet you he said it with like just, just real calm. He probably was like, yo, follow me. And then just started walking. Excuse me? Probably just walked into a conversation. I'm the bread of life. Those who eat of me will never hunger again. Excuse me? Like, we hear these things, and they're so normal to us, but they're not normal to anybody, if you just think about it. Like, the truth, the way, the life. Notice, not a truth, a way, and a life, but the truth, the way, and the life. Like, Jesus, settle down. Stop being so serious for a second. And if we said that to Jesus, I imagine he'd be like, and what? Water myself down? For who and for what reason? See, if people couldn't handle Jesus and his claims, what will, he, what will the world do to those who claimed what he claimed? In our world, and this is a fancy term, it's called the scandal of particularity. And all it means is that there's only one way of living Jesus says, I am the one way, my way or the highway. That's it. And nobody likes it like that. In our world, we like it. You have it your way. Whatever floats your boat, you can do whatever you want as long as you feel comfortable. Nobody likes when Jesus says, it's my way or the highway. It's either me or nothing. It's all of me or none of me. Like nobody likes that. We always like to just dip our hands into everything. And Jesus challenged every nation, every culture over all time. Jesus says, you can be meek, you can be gentle, sure, you can be merciful, but you ain't going to be dishonest and unfaithful at the same time. It don't work. In the world we live in, we know that the number of controversial topics that are in there, they're all over the place. My call, Pastor Goose's call, is to preach the truth regardless of what anyone says. Why? Because it's the only way. Blessed, in sync, you lucky bum, you who are caught in the tension because of your faithfulness to me. Jump for joy and rejoice, he says. Huh? Why would I rejoice when I'm criticized? Because Lord knows I get a little angry when people criticize me, just a little bit. 
when they say, oh, Pete, you're not good at this. Mm, excuse me? Who the are you? When people talk behind my back and proclaim that my ways or whatever is not good or whatever. Jesus, you want me to rejoice and be glad over that? Yeah, he says, I do. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven, he says. And you're like, hmm. I mean, like, heaven's so far away. Like, mm, okay, maybe. He says, rejoice because you are among the faithful grace for the greats, for the persecuted. They persecute the prophets before you. You're like, okay, it's cool to be on the, among the pantheon of the faithful grace. But lastly, he says, rejoice. Why? Because you're, yours is the kingdom. Like, right now is the kingdom. And here's the key, and here's the good news. It sucks if you're persecuted for all the wrong reasons. That's true. But if you're persecuted for living the best life, for choosing grace and mercy and love and pain, I'll take that. If you're persecuted because you do what God would do and let the chips fall, I'll take that. One of the things that happens, and you know, I hate to use example, but I can't, I can't escape it. I read another article in the New York Times today about the screen time and the, and the craziness, right? Apparently all the CEOs of all the tech companies and all the major social media companies don't let their kids use screen time. Did you know that? All the CEOs literally don't let their kids have phones. Apple's CEO won't let his nephew have a phone until 15. Did you know that? Because they know how terrible it is. So I keep screens away from my kids. And I get questions all the time. Well, aren't you afraid that Mason, Connor, or Kara are going to get hated on by their kids because they don't know how to play this? They've never played Fortnite. They've never played Minesweeper. They don't know any of these things. And there are people going to make fun of them and tease them and do whatever because they don't know any of these things. And I go, no. Why? Because I am giving them the keys to the best life. And if they're persecuted for it, then come what may, they will handle it because they're living the best life. I'd rather be persecuted for living the best life of grace than die to the ways of the world that indeed are killing me day by day. Rejoice and be glad. Because if you're persecuted for the sake of righteousness, it means that the kingdom is already broken into your life. It means you're making peace. It means that you're seeking righteousness. It means that indeed you are being merciful and meek and you're being persecuted. Rejoice and be glad because you're the lucky bum that has God's life in you already. Because if it means that you're not being persecuted for these things, that means the gospel kingdom is not in your life and that means you're not living the life you're supposed to, which is sadder. I go, if my sons and my daughter are persecuted by their friends because they don't know what screen time is, they don't know what these apps are, but every physiological scientist and every person says that these, your phones and all these things is worse than crack cocaine to your system, then I will gladly be persecuted for that because they are living the better life. I will follow Jesus, come what may. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the sake of righteousness because it means the kingdom is alive in you already, you lucky, lucky bum. Some of you will have choices this summer. 
Some of you decide to go on missions. And I'm not saying missions better than anything in the praise team come up. We're running out of time. But some of you decide to go on missions, which means every Saturday, like literally 25 of the next 30 Saturdays, you'll be here at 6 o'clock in the morning until 9.30 preparing for missions. You'll fundraise. It means maybe you don't get to go to Korea or do all these things over the summer, but blessed are you. And people, friends, others tell you, like, bro, why are you doing that? It's like, dude, why are you doing that? Why are you wasting your time? You could be doing so many other things with your life. And you'll say, I am choosing the way of God because I was created and built to give love and give life unto others. It means the kingdom is alive in you. It's a family. I told you at the very beginning of this series, the reason why I decided to preach this series is because I feel like these things I'm recognizing in you already. Because I feel like we as a body, we as a people are being ready or are making, being prepared to live this type of life. So I ask you, will you repent? Turn around, face God and say, God, I want to live your way, not my way. I want to learn of you and the life that you give. I want a life indeed where indeed I and others can come together. I want to live a life of shalom. I want to live a life where I don't have to know it all and be it all. I want to live a life where indeed I can have beauty and life and truth and grace because you give it to me. I want to live a life where indeed I can be meek and humble and gentle and not have to fight for everything because you will fight for me. I want to live a life where I can be imperfect and not know that I have everything but be okay with it because you have given me the kingdom. If you fight for this, if you want this and say, Jesus, I want you and I want your way, his kingdom will enter in and yes you will find some persecution because many in the world will think that you're stupid you're an idiot and you don't know what you're doing but you will say I have the life of the king in me the one who dies and resurrects from the grave and that is worth everything and more blessed in sync congratulations to you for yours and yours alone is the kingdom of of the almighty king of kings who reigns forever, who defeats death and gives eternal life. In the next minute, will you take some time to repent, turn around, face this God, and welcome him and his kingdom into your heart? Wherever you come from, whatever you've done, will you take this time to welcome that, to welcome him, and have them produce this life in you. And then we'll sing together. So take a moment and pray. Reflect. Do what you need to do. Go to your heavenly father and ask him to come alive in you.